This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code DEVCHAT at Sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code DEVCHAT at Sentry.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have David Richards. Hello. Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. Now, is it Kimura, Kimura? Because I've heard you say it different than how I say it. You know, a lot of people say it differently. Uh, The best one is, the best way I can say it is like, hey, Kimura minute. So, Kimura. Okay. Hey, Kimura minute. I need help. But I've gotten Camaro, Chimera, all kinds of things. I'll do better. (laughs) (laughs) You, you can hear how guilty I, I feel, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm going to encourage people to go check out thedevrev.com, which is a new video uh, podcast that I'm putting out there. I'm going to release the audio too. I'm, I'm working on getting the process up around that. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, Dave, you recommended this topic. And so I'm going to let you kind of explain what we're going to talk about today. And then we'll hit it from there. So really, I just thought a topic of speculation would be fun. So really holds no water, no value, but just something where we can just kind of just openly chat about what you see in the community, the direction things are going, and what you like or what you would change if you had the opportunity. So, you know, kind of a lot of this has spun off of my resistance to client-side frameworks like React or JavaScript frameworks like React, Angular, or Vue that I really just don't see the true benefit of them in many of the applications. And then, so you have one half, you have part of the community pushing in that direction of JavaScript frameworks using those. And then you have the Rails core releasing something like Action Text, which is very different than the direction that the JavaScript framework is headed. Because with the JavaScript framework, a lot of times you can have your own static hosting for the JavaScript and the HTML files, then just have that communicate to a backend. So you can almost host your website on S3, having everything served over CloudFront or a CDN, and then have all the backend business logic and database and authentication happening on a Rails API only. But that's a very different direction than what the base camp or the Rails core has taken Ruby on Rails with the introduction of Action Text. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we're talking about essentially server-side rendered web applications, right? Yep. And we, we had a conversation about this on JavaScript Jabber a couple of weeks ago. We talked to Phil and Divya from Netlify. And they essentially do this, right? So you server render your application, you hand it off to them, they host it on their CDN, and then if you want to add functionality to it, you can. But you know, it, it's mostly yeah, server rendered stuff. And for content sites like DevChat.tv, that approach makes a lot of sense. In fact, I've been playing with server rendered framework for the last I don't know week maybe. I mean, Thanksgiving was in the middle of that. Where I was essentially doing that, I was taking it to basically just rendering it to text. And then I'll have JavaScript animate anything I need. Yeah. And, you know, I think for many applications, that's really the way to go, especially if you're just starting up. You know, I I said it before, but I think it still holds water that a sign of premature optimization is starting a new Rails application with React. 
So if you use the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I really... I, I heard you... screams. I did. <laughs> I heard screams on the internet. <laughs> you know, unless if you're developing something like Gmail or something that truly, or, you know, Photoshop, a Photoshop online version, unless if you're developing something like that, I think that the business case for having a full-fledged SPA isn't there. Well, what you're talking about is basically a fully managed UI as opposed to, yeah, what, what we talk about or what DHH talks about with like JavaScript sprinkles, right? Where mm-hmm. it's, it's a UI with different functional parts. You know, I'm, I'm really glad we're talking about this because I've, I've been self-conscious thinking it was just my age, you know, where I just think <laughs> old way is good enough. Because, <laughs> you know, oh, David, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, the hip kids want to make, you know, uh, you know, these, these, these really beautiful front ends, but I don't know. I, I tend to get a lot of traction out of, you know, let's get something simple together now and then see if we can justify more later. And I don't know. I just, I, I, I guess I will never be as hip <laughs> as a lot of people out there, but if I'm getting my stuff delivered, I guess that's what matters to me anyway. Yeah, and you know, don't get me wrong. Having a pleasant to use uh, UX UI is important. You know, I'm a full advocate of that because otherwise, no one's going to want to buy your product if it looks like it was developed 30 years ago. You know, they want to see that you're keeping current, that your business isn't dead when it's you know a startup just getting off the ground. So having something with a nice looking, responsive UI is is a good thing, but that doesn't mean you have to go the full-fledged SPA side of things. I found more and more that, especially if I'm just wanting to stand up a internal utility or something like that, the overhead of adding in a JavaScript framework is really huge. You know, especially if I just need something from zero to production in a couple of days. You know, it it doesn't make sense. Uh, and then if I'm developing something that will be sustained long term, then you also have to weigh in, you know, how much maintenance are we going to want to invest in this versus new features? You know, there's always going to be refactoring and stuff that you have to do. But why add another component on top of there with the um, React components or Angular and all that stuff? Because you're just adding to the complexity of your stack when it doesn't need to be that complex. Yeah, I ran into this a little bit. You know, I've been working on the podcasting system that I've been building. I fondly christened it PodWrench. But anyway, I mean, it was the same thing. I was looking at that and basically going, okay, well, I want to kind of drop the U in and have it manage the UI. And it just turned out not to be worth it. You know, Uh, I I started looking at stimulus and I'm like, yeah, this is this is on the speed that I want because I just want to tell it, okay, when you click on this, do this thing. You know, and I think it's it's interesting too because these are good frameworks. They're very well done. Oh yeah, and they feel yeah. great. And so sometimes I don't realize the complexity I'm taking on. Like it's it's an easy thing to just stand it all up and get it to do what I want it to do, and then I realize I have a lot of complexity on my hands. Did I need it? <laughs> you know, so it's a little bit harder to I guess if if I don't really have to pay the price to stand it up but I have to pay the price to maintain it or change it, you know, or explain to the next person how to use this framework when, when maybe something simpler would have worked. Well, the other issue that I have too, is that typically I'm trying to pull it into a project after the fact. And so, you know, I'll get going, I'll kind of get my ideas solidified around it. I mean, that's what I did with this project. And then, and then I was like, okay, you know, I, I do need some of this, you know, things to slide in or, you know, the forms to animate and and not animate in any fancy way, but just like highlight when somebody missed a field or, you know, things like that. And, you know, just to give it that, that kind of natural feel to the UX. And yeah, I, I, so I went to pull in, I think, I think I started with, I looked at React and the instructions to get going with React. I was just like, nope, nope, nope. Um, I've been podcasting about Angular for, what, four years, five years. And again, I mean, the the barrier to entry, even though I understand the system reasonably reasonably well, 
again, it was just a no go. I went a view. I got, I, it still took me a while to get started. And then just to kind of get my bearings and, and figure out how I needed to insert it, to get it, to do what I wanted. You know, you start looking at, you know, I remember doing jQuery and it's just like, okay, find the little handle. And when you click, then run this function. I mean, it was that simple. And, yeah. you know, stimulus has kind of that same feel. And so for my solution, and I'm not saying that this is the case for all of them, but yeah, I, I think in a lot of cases, it makes a lot more sense just to look at it. I mean, just to get going, there's this barrier to entry. And so just looking at it that way, it's like, oh, well, this is simple. It's easy to get rolling with. I can just put it where I want it. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, a counterpoint to my point would be that when we do use action view, we are prone to get lazy. And what I mean by that is having some partials or part of our view making database calls when all of that logic should have been contained within a service object within the controller or something else mm -hmm. that is then pulling in that logic. Instead, it's really easy to create M plus one queries and stuff in the view, whereas with React, you're kind of forced away from that, unless if you're accidentally doing it in JBuild or something like that. So I think that if we are going to maintain in our current path, we as developers need to get better about understanding our framework that we're using and make more proper decisions about how we are architecting the uh, database calls, you know, where are those truly being called from and the overall interactions between our actual business logic. Yep. It seems to fit. I don't know if this is the right term, but the way I've been thinking about this, you know, it's like this inside out approach to architecting things, you know, that there's a DNA to the project. Like, okay, we're going to handle it this way. We'll use service objects this way. We're only going to bring in these other tools when we can justify them. And then that kind of creates an identity around the project. And, and I think if I can ever achieve that on a project, the whole thing goes well. Everybody knows what they're there to do and they, they know what value they're there to add and we're not going to rehash the same thoughts unless we're really getting it wrong. And then it's pretty obvious to everybody. Like, okay, it's time to bring in a, a front-end framework or it's time to really have some empathy for the user because this is not working for them or whatever, you know, we'll wake up at some point. But, but I like having that inside out, simple things grow into bigger things. Mm -hmm. You know, so if I can get my... And, and I'm a fan of service objects. A lot of people aren't. But if I can get the way I build the app kind of down, you know, that's the hard part. And then everything else just is a work-a-day process. And then if I have to make big changes, I can later. Um, or when I'm really ready to, to take on something bigger. Uh, that always feels good to me. I don't know if that's the right way, but it seems pragmatic. And um, that's what I'm looking for when I'm thinking about the problems. No, I like that way of thinking about things where it's it's not necessarily that you're saying I don't I don't want or I don't need a front end framework. It's you know what, when I get to the point where that's gonna solve a problem that I have, that's when I'm gonna go and reach for that tool. I, I really like the approach. And I recognize too that it, it it spends a little bit of social capital. You know, it's on me if I'm wrong. You know, I'm going to say, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is why we're going to do it. And if people really wanted to use their framework of choice, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to build things. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, my reasons aren't good enough. But I have to spend a little bit of social capital to say, all right, well, we're not going to do that yet. Let's not do that yet. Or let's come back and talk about that when that becomes more important. And it's on me if I'm wrong. If it's on me, if I'm and that's, I guess, where my self-consciousness, you know, comes up. You know, if I'm just the old guy that doesn't want to innovate, well, then I'm slowing down the project. You know, but if I really understand the cost of adding a framework or the cost of building something complex and then trying to maintain that over time, I mean, I've, I've come to old projects that were built well, you know, 10 years later, and they're still running well, even though all the tech they were built on is all completely defunct there it, it does its job well it's secure and it's reliable and and i like it not it's not necessarily the plan but it's kind of nice to think that they people own that software they didn't have to pay for 10 years of 
super duper maintenance over every little mm -hmm. thing, keeping up with every new innovation if it didn't add value to the project. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of uh, the agile development stuff that I, I got way into it a while back. Um, I still believe in a lot of it, but it was essentially you're deferring decisions until you have more information. Yeah. And, you know, so, yeah, it, it makes sense. The other thing is, is that I find that the approaches between especially Angular and Reactive View are fairly different. I mean, they all use components and things like that, but they're, they're reasonably different. And so there are going to be trade-offs between making those decisions or, you know, something even more lightweight like stimulus or, you know, something like that. And so when you get to the point where you're making that decision, if you have more information, then you can make the appropriate uh, decision on that. And so it's, it's not just, you know, you being a curmudgeon or, you know, a stick in the mud or anything like that. It really is. I don't have enough decision. I don't have enough information necessarily to make a good decision. And I don't know what's going to change between now and then that would make me make a different decision. You know, and I think this gets to be even more important. I mean, I remember in the years prior when the Rails community was a community, we kind of grew our own people. It was, you were a Rails person. And now it's more, you're a web person. So I've, I found on projects in the last few years, I get a lot of people on my teams that came from a very different point of view. Maybe they're not big fans of agile or they just love their JavaScript or they came in mm -hmm. from the DevOps side and they read an article once that they <laughs> want to implement. And, and, you know, we, we did a lot of normalization in our thinking where we said, well, let's try to be pragmatic. Let's try to be agile. Let's try to follow these principles. They seem to work well for us and a lot of the people that we know. And so being willing to say, I'm going to build this project this way and then being able to describe why and have it be on my shoulders if I'm wrong. And then also be willing to listen to somebody that's got a perspective that I, I've never considered or I haven't thought about for a while. You know, it's not that I have to be right, but, um, but if I'm going to set a project in a direction, then... I kind of need to be able to have that conversation with people in a productive way. Um, but they're coming from, yeah, a much, much more varied backgrounds these days, which is great. It's great to have that, but it just means the conversation is more and more important. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think in a lot of cases, uh, it's good to see what's out there, to see what's new and to jump on new technologies especially, you know, early on, if they end up being a hit, you know, that makes you a early pioneer in that area. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, when you start introducing new technology into the core business function of your application, then you start introducing a lot of risk, uh, as well as, you know, introducing a lot of uh, unknowns that you can't yet calculate because you don't see the direction of the community. Um, I admit that I am not a early adopter of React. However, I have dabbled in it enough to understand a lot of its nice things that it can do as well as some of the drawbacks of using it. And for more cases than not, I found that the overhead which it adds to the speed of my development does not outweigh the productivity required to push out new features or to maintain the application. And from that aspect, you know, React specifically isn't a consideration. Now, once I build the application, if it's architected correctly, where I'm not making a lot of database views from within my uh, database queries from within my view, then that will allow me to start adding in, as DHH said, some JavaScript sprinkles, whether that's stimulus or some, you know, one-off React components to give a more native feel to the application. And I'm fully supportive of that, but not jumping in head first, thinking that I'm going to start a new application, it's going to be React, it's going to be API only, without knowing what the end game should look like. I like that. There's another thing I've been thinking about lately that I mean, let's say that I should adopt that framework or it is mm -hmm. right for this project. Sometimes 
I'm not the right person <laughs> to do it. Like I've noticed that sometimes I'm just novice or, or merely competent in a technology. If the, if the framework is a little bit new or it's changing a lot like it does in the JavaScript world, I might not be the person to really lead out in, in some of these areas. In other words, uh, I wouldn't notice the pattern that I'm, that I'm using, or I wouldn't understand the deep, the deep uh, expert level ideas that maybe aren't fully baked in the framework or in the ecosystem. So I've noticed that even if I get the, the technology decisions right, I've, I've still got to um, consider that maybe I don't know as much as I, as I think I do. Of course, I'll get in and work on a project if, if, uh, if it comes down to me. But um, sometimes that's another good reason to hold back as well. It's like, well, wait a minute. I don't know enough. <laughs> I, could, I could have the right technology to implement it poorly or implement it slowly. You know, and it is expensive to, to build an expertise up in a, in a, in a framework. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's interesting too. Uh, Dave kind of brought us around to another, you know, topic and that's just being an early adopter, right. And, and kind of going toward these new ideas and it, it really depends on what you want. I mean, some people are out to make a name. Some people want a community where they can go invent stuff. Some people get, they just want to, technology that they can get excited about. And so they, you know, they find one and it could be a new space, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't want it to come across like we're poo-pooing the idea of going out and learning some new technology. It's just, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, it really pays to understand why. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I maybe I just, again, old school thinking, but the cost of developers is, is a lot. You know, and I, I just yeah. think about, man, if I was building a house and I had that kind of expense, <laughs> I better get a very nice house out of that. And so trying to keep the, you know, things in balance, you know, so that I can uh, do a good job. Um, that's important. And people honestly on the business side typically don't know that. They, they, they don't know enough about what's going on. They have to rely on us to make good decisions, even decisions that aren't necessarily in our own personal best interest, you know, like, Oh man, I'd love to know how to do the hot new thing. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, well, that's maybe not a good idea right now. Uh, or I'll go do a practice toy project on my own time and then come back once I have a really good sense of how, how it would affect the project later. Do you run your own freelance business or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter dev chat in the how did you hear about us section. So one thing that I'm curious about, we were talking about like what's coming. And Dave, you kind of inferred that a lot of websites, you know, don't necessarily need front-end frameworks. So I'm curious, you know, as you've been thinking about this, do you feel like things are going to move away from front-end frameworks? Do you feel like maybe the web community is going to bifurcate into people who need them and people who don't? Or do you think we're going to continue to see a large adoption curve for front-end frameworks, regardless of whether or not people need them? So personally, I think that uh, if we're just talking about the space of Ruby on Rails and uh, maintaining an application long-term, uh, because no one wants to develop an application and then you know, that project's over and done with, you never touch it again six months later. So if we're talking about something that you were hired on at a company or it's your own personal project 
and something that you're passionate about that you're going to be doing long term, then you want it to be maintainable. And part of uh, having something that's maintainable is not deviating too far from its core. And if we're choosing Ruby on Rails as our framework, then sticking with Ruby on Rails as our choice and with its patterns, not deviating too far outside of that is going to help maintain its overall lifespan, you know, and the ease of maintainability of a project. So if we are introducing in different components like device, pundit, into our application for handling our authorization and the authentication, then we've now deviated a little bit from the Rails core, but in a way that is argumentatively better to say that we understand that these gems are developed by third parties and we're willing to risk them no longer maintaining those gems. So we are going to use them anyways, understanding that risk. So now you've added two dependencies into your application and then you then have a CTO saying, hey, I want this application to be React-based. Well, that changes a lot more and adds in a lot more dependencies because now you're not just dependent on uh, React, but then you're also dependent on a lot of direction that uh, Webpacker goes and how you're going to deploy your applications and its overall uh, infrastructure. So, you know, you're start to making a lot of changes and the more and more things that you start adding in like that, you're going to see the more and more you've deviated from the Rails core, which means the underlying core part of your business logic has deviated enough to where upgrading that to Rails 6 or later versions might become a challenge. So you may stick with a older Rails versions and not be able to take advantage of newer things like action text. Or if you're on a older Rails application, active storage, you lose you know, a lot of those benefits as well. So I think that as far as the maintainability goes, because when I start a project, I intend, or at least I come in with the intention of maintaining that long term. So I try to stick as close to the Rails core as I can with as few gems as possible. So uh, to me, I would love to see the React and the JavaScript front end frameworks die down a bit so we can kind of return to our center of what's the core And a lot of this is, you know, honestly, React has not been around that long. You know, Angular has been around a bit longer. So we have yet to see the negative impacts, or at least we might just now be starting to see the negative impacts that, you know, this particular choice of a JavaScript framework has, you know, over the DevOps side of things as things are getting shipped out or from the maintainability long term. I like that. I mean, a lot of these great tools that we're getting, they're built for a purpose. You know, I mean, uh, Facebook or, or uh, Google, they're, they're, they're trying to own a lot, of, a lot of apps. And so they build great tools for that. You know, and where 37Signal is now Basecamp, they're, they're looking for the, the one-person startup. You know, how can somebody build something, you know, good, mm-hmm. a lot like Basecamp, you know, if, if they were the only person on the project. And so it's possible that, you know, we're all glomming onto these, these um, technologies that are great for their purpose. But like you say, you know, does that fit me? Do I really want to own a gem? Do I really want to maintain things? I mean, much more than just the, the front end, you know, that whole thing. How, how complicated do I really want this to be? Yeah, especially if I don't really fit. You know, some of these tools were built for people with a different perspective in mind. Yeah, and you know, I've talked to some people who are in the .NET world and their views and their front end, they were really struggling with even using uh, .NET MVC5, which is a more modern approach to uh, web design. It's a pretty cool framework, but to deliver stuff like we are able to ship with Rails was very difficult for them. Mm-hmm. So they added in React into their stack and it completely changed the dynamics of how they developed and at the speed at which they could develop. So for them, it was a very 
logical choice and, you know, a fruitful one too. You know, they got a lot of returns. I don't see that in the Rails community where you're able to do, where you're saving yourself something. You're just, you know, shifting responsibility over to a different stack that you're then going to have to maintain as well. Uh, for Facebook, even coming up with React, I mean, honestly, if I was developing in uh, PHP all day, I'm sure JavaScript will look pretty appealing. And then I would want to build a framework around that too. You know, but I get to use Ruby. I love Ruby. Ruby makes me happy so much. I even name my daughter Ruby. So, you know, I don't see anyone naming their child PHP. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> One of our uh, listeners um, just texted me. Um, he's listening to us live right now. And he reminded me that uh, if the technology makes things easier, it will get used. This is from Rex Griffiths. And then he quotes Henry uh, Petrowski, irritation is the mother invention, the mother of invention. So I think, you know, I mean, like PHP <laughs> never, <laughs> never made me happy. <laughs> I would never name my daughter PHP or my son. <laughs> I got a lot of happiness for Ruby, but I had this immense irritation. You know, when I started Ruby, I had about a thousand hours into a project and it just wasn't getting there, you know, and it was a PHP based project. And it's like, I can't, I can't get there this way. I don't have enough bandwidth. And so to find somebody that solves the problems for me, you know, it made it so much easier for me to just jump in and build apps the way that the Rails way, you know, this is back in 2004. And um, yeah, I've had a love affair with Ruby because of that, because it solved things for me in a way that nobody else would or could. Yeah, it was the same for me. I mean, when I first got into web development, I, I started, well, I was just doing HTML in high school, but I was just goofing around and I got a little bit more serious about it in college. Um, and I was introduced to PHP, but no framework, just PHP. Uh, so it was just kind of standard LAMP stack, uh, early 2000s. And I really, really enjoyed it. I really loved it. I was I was fairly productive in it. And then I found Rails and that was it, <laughs> right? And it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, and for me, my first experience was with PHP also. And this, you know, keep in mind was back in 1999. So I built a uh, PHP backend application with a action script flash front end. So it was a little chat application that me and my buddies would use. And, you know, the thing was really cool. You know, you got some instantaneous real feedback on the chat application with little, you know, dizzle dazzles floating around. And it was pretty neat. You know, it felt real time like a standalone application. You know, flash thankfully has since died. But, you know, I think that it's fun to experiment with new technologies. You know, really, that's my main thing is I love technology. I love looking into new things, things that I don't understand uh, irritate me. So I look into them even more until I do have some kind of base understanding of it. And, you know, in this you know specific case, each time I always circle back to the Rails core and, you know, try not to deviate from that too much. And I don't think I've drank the Kool-Aid or anything. It's just that I find that I am the most productive and fastest to develop stable, maintainable features when I'm sticking close to the Rails core. You know, very similar to uh, my editor of choice, you know, Visual Studio Code. Every now and then, I will download the EAP version of RubyMine to check it out to see what's changed, to see if it's a potential fit. Each time, you know, about a week of using it solely, I will eventually say, you know, to myself, I need to get productive. I need to get back to work. And I switch back to my primary editor. So, you know, being scared of new technology and new frameworks and stuff is a bad thing. Choosing not to use them because the business case doesn't make sense is not a bad thing. That makes it a smart thing, in my opinion. So I guess this is the next question because it's been 10 years or so since we've had Rails more than that. I think it came out like, what, 04, 03? So anyway, could and will something come along that's going to change the way that we, the three of us, 
and the people listening to us write code? I think so. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. You know, because technology is sustainable only for a certain amount of time before things have to change. And, you know, with, you know, around that same time, we had mobile devices introduced, you know, smart devices, not just uh, Symbian-based OS phones. But with the iPhone and Windows phone, Android phones, you know, there's a lot of untapped market, I think, with the web space going with just full native applications. And I think that that's something that we as a Rails community are trying to avoid. You know, I know um, there was a uh, Ruby talk or a Rails talk about uh, Turbolinks and iOS, and I've covered some on Drifter Ruby writing a uh, Turbolinks-based iOS application. And, you know, I haven't given it too much more thought since that episode until recently where I think that, I think that one thing that if you want your application to be used most often or more often, then put it on a medium where we have with us more often than not. I do not have my laptop with me that often to be working, you know, on a website or, you know, to be browsing around. I'm using my phone. And while responsive web design has taken us to where viewing a web page on a mobile device is pleasant, you still have a lack of native feel to that website. And that's where Turbolinks iOS jumped in to kind of rekindle that native feel for a web application, including using in native components, APIs for like the camera and the gyroscopes on the devices into your Rails application. And I think that's a really untapped Rails market where we've just kind of chosen to go the whole iOS route or the Android route using Xcode, Swift, and Java for the Android side of things. But other than the Turbolinks iOS application, there's really no bridge or gap into uh, one of those natively. You know, you have stuff like Xamarin, which is more on the .NET side of things, where you can create and cross-compile cross compile, uh, one code base to multiple platforms. And I think that uh, Ruby Motion has come a long ways as far as being able to uh, deploy Ruby-based applications compiled into Android or Java and Objective-C to deploy to native devices. But there's still a huge gap between Ruby Motion and with uh, Ruby on Rails. Now, your interface between the two is going to be APIs. And I think that if we were to come up with some kind of gap, uh, a bridge to that gap, then that could really change how we develop applications where it's more a true mobile first in mind because that's a device that many people, the majority, have on them at all times, not a computer. You know, I think you're, you're dead on with that. I mean, as far as interfaces and what we use, and you know, I, I think it's hard to get an abstraction done well you know, mm-hmm. where we can move into the next set of tools. Uh, I think it takes some time to do it well. I, I remember how much complaining there was in the Rails world when it didn't do X. You know, it was an abstraction. Rails is, a, you know, the way that Rails does MVC, the way that Rails and Ruby and, and things where we say there's a trade-off and we're going to be on the, you know, maybe in the, in the majority of what people need to use but like getting that into the phone, getting that into you know those interfaces, getting that um, APIs somehow tuned in smarter so that we can use these technologies. I think that is where we go. I've been seeing the same kind of thing around data where people are finding ways to abstract out the hard parts. Like there's a proprietary MemSQL that's based on MySQL that's a distributed in-memory database because that's a hard part of dealing with high, high volume you know, relational data. And so people are finding ways to abstract higher and make it simpler to get closer to our use cases. So I think that's where we go with our new tech is we just keep getting better abstractions, but it's really hard to get an abstraction done well that really mm-hmm. embraces the next 
you know, major push into the next, you know, what, what really happens next? You know, is it augmented reality? Is it just getting onto our phones and actually using what's already there better? Um, I'd, I'd probably put my money on the, just using our phones and, and actually taking advantage of that um, is probably where we're going. Unless if you're a uh, blizzard and shipping Diablo on your phone. In which case, you're, you're not like that. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting too because the trade-off used to be much bigger. You know, if I'm going to go mobile first, I'm going to cut down features. But the screens are getting bigger. The compute is better. The the bandwidth is better. You know, our um, different ways we handle gestures and the way we do things are getting better. So it's a lot less of a trade-off. And the fact that that's where people interact with us, that's how they choose to interact with, with our companies, with our services. Um, getting good at that matters more, I think. I um, Last night, <laughs> I, I tend to write these big flowery articles that I never publish because I'm thinking about this kind of thing. Last night's article was, you know, the promise of the, of the information age. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, I, I, the, there was something going on. There was something in the air, you know, in the mid 2000s, we were launching Twitter. We were launching Hulu. We were launching Netflix. We were not launching, not we, but the community, the world, you know, all these things were happening kind of at that time. And, and a lot is happening now, but it's, it's different now. And, and so trying to figure out, where are we going or where ought to we be going or where would I be happy working hard to get there? Um, and so some of that to me also, like if we can get onto the phone or we can get, you know, more insight out of our data, or if we can get something um, that just adds more value beyond just, you know, I'm going to record some values in a database and then spit it back to you in a format that you need it. Um, so getting, you know, so that's, I, I guess, not an easy answer to where are we going, but I think part of that involves um, understanding what are the problems we've, we've been afraid to address. Um, and, and one way I've noticed that lately is there's certain kinds of search terms that are hard to get answers to. Like if there's, um, you know, if, I, if I'm trying to find a movie, a showtime near me, that's no, no big deal. You know, but if I'm trying to understand, you know, the relationship of, um, too complex ideas, or if I'm trying to understand the context of something difficult, or really get into and understand a company outside of what they're trying to tell me about themselves, <laughs> you know, trying to use information, try to build tools that make information uh, more useful. Um, I think those are the harder areas. At least that's what I've been seeing. Yeah. I'm not sure where else to go from here. Yeah, I think my rent's pretty much over. I mean, uh, my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, anything else we want to uh, jump on before we go to picks? I think I would point out, though, this conversation was interesting to me because it's not so much that there's this, we're using technology wisely. We're, we're not trying to break out of a bubble right now. And I think that's a really profitable place to be. You know, this is where you want to be. <laughs> the technology is solid. We know how to use it. Let's just get closer to the user, get closer to the business case. There's so much opportunity in this space. You know, it's really expensive when it's time where we absolutely have to go into the next set of tools. I'll bet five years ago, this conversation would have been completely different, you know, mm -hmm. because of all the up and coming. But but this is the time to, to actually be profitable. Agreed. Yep. You know, because a lot of people think that the market is already tapped, that anything that's already been invented has been and there's nothing new to invent. And I think that that's, you know, someone said that back in like the 50s and stuff. And look how how far we've come since then. So, you know, I'd say just keep developing, keep inventing, keep coming up with new ideas and the world will adopt or not adopt it. But just because you failed in one thing doesn't mean you quit. Just keep going. You know, don't let it discourage you. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do some picks. 
Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Dave, do you want to start us with picks? Yeah, sure. So um, I can't remember what my last pick was, but I've been having so much fun with this, so it may return to be a new pick. Uh, I got a dust collection system in my basement for my wood shop, and I have you know, finally got it all hooked up and ran to my various tools. So if you have a wood shop that does not have good ventilation, then having a good dust collection system is important. And I kind of went cheap on it. I went with a central machine from Harbor Freight. But, you know, because it's not something that's spinning a blade, I was okay to kind of cheap out on a little bit. So, you know, a semi-decent dust collection system for your wood shop. Along with the spirit of wood shops, I did pick up a new tool over the holiday weekend, uh, over Thanksgiving, and I got a um, another DeWalt power dr- uh, battery-powered drill, the XR. So it's a lot of fun. I like tools, and I like playing with wood. So I guess those are my two picks. Awesome. Uh, David, what are your picks? Right. I've got two very different picks. Uh, one of them is a book uh, I finished last week, love it. Amy Irvine wrote uh, Desert Cabal. And it's a response to Desert Solitaire. I think it's 50 years since um, Edward Abbey wrote that book. But it's about the desert and the national parks in my part of the world in Utah and the Colorado Plateau. And it's just a very beautifully written book. So very short, you can read it in a couple hours, but very enjoyable. Um, so I enjoyed that. And then the other one is uh, something, uh, Ben or- uh, Ornstein, uh, we've had him on mm-hmm. the show before. Uh, he's got this uh, course out there, Habits for Hackers, and I love it. And, um, and so he's just getting it started. And a few reasons I love it. One of them is how pragmatic he is about it. But the other one is that he's doing um, kind of a study buddy approach to, to learning. You know, I'll go take a class through this, learn better habits as a software developer. And, um, and I'll have somebody in the group with me that actually we're going to be checking in on, on each other regularly and, and actually make good habits. Um, I think it's really hard. You know, this, this show will come out around the beginning of the year and we'll all be setting our, our new year's resolutions. And uh, that's not the same thing as building habits. And so his is based on a prior pick that I've done on the show, which is uh, Atomic Habits, a, a great book. So mm-hmm. it's a, a way to practice. So, hey, if we're going to be better devs, let's, let's do a good job of that. Yeah, Atomic Habits is an awesome book. Yeah. I'm going to throw out a couple of picks. So one of them is came to mind when you were talking, Dave, about, or David, about uh, having the accountability partner when you're taking a class and things. And one of the things that we just did, uh, we did kind of an extra episode yesterday because we didn't record Adventures in Angular or any of the Wednesday shows last week because of Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, I wanted to have something to put in there. And so I had my friend Sean come on and he talked to us about mastermind groups. And I found that to be an excellent tool for uh, essentially leveling up and learning. And so you, you form mastermind groups. Usually it's, they're formed in the business context. And so you hold each other accountable on your business stuff, you know, the, the stuff you have to deliver to get your business done. And instead it was, okay, well, if everybody in the group is focused on learning the same technology, or if everybody in the group is focused on leveling up, um, you know, from beginner to intermediate or something like that, then having that mastermind group and having the accountability and the ideas and all of the discussions that come out of that, um, is really powerful. And so, um, we, we did the interview or we did the episode. It was funny cause we had a co-host from three different shows on there. Um, 
because we, we, you know, we all, we're also going to put it on views on view and react roundup. But the other thing that came out was that we're going to do a webinar at the beginning of the year. So if you want to come and kind of see how to organize a mastermind group and figure out how to make it effective, you can go sign up at mastermind hunt. That's mastermindhunt.com slash dev chat. And if you go sign up, it'll be free. And I'm going to be there heckling. I mean, um, <clears throat> helping with the presentation. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, it, it'll be great. Uh, I'm really looking forward to interacting with some folks and answering some questions. But it's essentially how I leveled up in a lot of ways, either through Ruby Rogues, which kind of acted as a mastermind group for me, at least in that way, because I was interacting with people who are at a much higher level than I was. And uh, also just, you know, as I moved from job to job and then met people in the local community, um, there were a couple of times where groups of us would get together on a regular basis for lunch and talk about leveling up or careers or technology or things. So um, anyway, uh, it also works well for staying current if that's kind of your focus. So anyway, lots of ideas there. But yeah, so I'm going to shout out about that. And then I'm also going to pick, and this is something that um, Dave reminded me of a little bit when he was talking about sort of the, and then I know that like the action text is probably a little bit different from this, but it did remind me that um, I have been playing with 11D, which is a static site generator, kind of like Jekyll. Uh, it's written in JavaScript. It's a whole lot simpler than Jekyll is. And yeah, I, I've been playing with it, like I said, for the last week, seeing what it would take to convert dev chat over to it because we're currently running on WordPress and WordPress has just become way too complicated. And then, you know, I'll, I'll set up a, an e-commerce place for people to, you know, pay for the stuff they want to pay for out of WordPress. But, you know, then it's just the store. It's not all the content, SEO and garbage that comes out of that. So anyway, it's been really, really cool. And I've been really happy with it. Um, I've bought a theme off of ThemeForest that I liked for it. Uh, dropped it in. It's been kind of fun to figure out how to make all this stuff uh, load my content instead of the boilerplate, but it's been fun. So uh, yeah, so you can go check that out at uh, Levity. It's it's 11ty.io for that one. So Interesting. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, we'll go ahead and wrap up and we will catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.